0: Good morning, Veritas. I'm Mark, one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to be able to uh, preach the Bible. And that's what we're going to do. We're in the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it there or turn in your phone on to find it, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, a lot of the scripture will be on the screen too if you're new and just want to follow along. Um, so one of the things real quick before we jump in is that we are, our elder team, leadership team, is going to take some time this Wednesday uh, to do an extended time of just prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord for just direction for our church. You know, we're, we're a church that's trying to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus' leadership, uh, God is blessing us. We are under this massive waterfall of God's blessing and grace. And we just want to have God's help in seeing where is he taking us? What is he leading us toward and just, and just praying? And, and so we just invite you to, if you wanna jump in with us on, on Wednesday, and if you're like, what is fasting? I don't know, ask somebody. Um, but uh, it's this whole thing of just focusing our attention on the Lord. And so if, if, or if God just brings us to mind on Wednesday, pray for us. All right. Well, here's the question as we begin, Hebrews chapter four. If you could fix one problem with people today, What would you fix? Think about this uh, as we remember the context from last week. Coach was speaking at at chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, how the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges our thoughts, our attitudes. And verse 13 says, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of of him to whom we must give an account. Humanity's greatest problem is that we are naked and exposed. This is an allusion to the Garden of Eden. Remember the first thing they did when they sinned. What did they do? They realized that they were naked. They were ashamed, so they made coverings for themselves. First response was to run for cover. But in today's passage, 4 verse 16, it says, so in light of that being, you know, naked and uh, exposed before the eyes of the Lord, let us approach the throne. That sounds like a terrible idea when you think about it, right? Here you are exposed before the living God and you're going to Run toward him. That's the tension we see from last week to this week. And the question becomes, why? Why would anyone in their right minds do this? Approach the throne. I want to tell you a little story. So I grew up spending summers at uh, grandma and grandpa's house in rural Iowa. I was from the city. And this is where I learned about a place called America. That's where I learned to shoot, trap, fish, do all the things Ride horses? Well, our friends there in this small town, they, you know, they pretty much owned the town, or they thought they did, and so they knew all the best places to fish. They knew the best pond with the biggest bass in the whole county. There was a problem. This pond was on private property. It was old Jesse's pond. So, what did we do? Well, you do the one thing that any kid in their right mind would do is you would trespass, right? So, we trespassed. I still remember pulling up in Jeff's car. He was 16. We were all younger, none of us old enough to have cars, but he had a car and his 1980. Pontiac, Monza, or something like that, and we pull up behind this levee. We get out of the car. We kind of creep over the ledge of the levee, and we look around, and we see the pond, and up there we see old Jesse's house. We find a place to crawl through the fence to a hidden spot on the pond, and I, I remember butterflies in my, that butterflies in your stomach feeling when you look up and see the house. Will the lights come on? What sounds do we hear? It's really hard to enjoy fishing when you're trespassing. And I remember that feeling because I was the one on lookout as my friends were fishing. Well, the owner, he knew the game. So we hear a truck pull up. And he knew where trespassers parked. And so he boxed us in. We were a little ways away from the car, but we saw what was happening. When we heard him yelling at us, it was the most terrifying voice you could ever hear. So what do you do? Well, the most natural thing, like roaches when the lights are turned on, you scatter. You run for your life. When you hear old Jesse's voice, But there was one problem. Jeff, remember our 16-year-old driver, stopped running. And he said, guys, we're caught. They're gonna get my license and I'm gonna take the heat. Like even if we get away, they're gonna see the car, see my license and I'm gonna be the one to take all the heat for this. And it's easier to talk to the owner than the cops. And so he froze and started walking toward old Jesse's voice. Okay, I'm gonna tell you the rest of the story later. But I will say this. This is humanity. This is where we live, trespassers, forgive us our what? Trespasses. We're on private property, and the owner sees us, and here's my job this morning. I'm your driver, and my job for the next 35 minutes is to convince you To stop running. This is what I would fix about humanity. I would tell them to stop running. And that's what I'm going to try to convince you of this morning. Four reasons. It's a great idea to stop running from Jesus. Or reasons to run toward the owner when you're trespassing. Verse 14, he tells us, Therefore... Okay, remember, we're we're naked, exposed before God. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's stop here and just think about this. Because we can't speed past this. Let's take some time to, to think about this. What is he talking about? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, One time a year, there's this Jewish holiday called Yom Kippur. Does anyone know what Yom Kippur is? It's the Day of Atonement. I used to grow up watching the Cubs, and I I think that one of the announcers, Steve Stone, he was Jewish, and he was always gone on Yom Kippur. So Harry Carey had this guess of. So I'm like, what's Yom Kippur, right? It's the Day of Atonement. It's the day that Jewish people celebrate that one time a year that the, the, high, the high priest would go into the temple, the temple of God. And that priest would, was there for a reason. He was there to sacrifice an animal on behalf of the sins of all the people. And so this high priest would go in and he would literally put his hands on this, this spotless, pure lamb and, and symbolically transferring the sins of God's people onto this animal and then would sacrifice this animal in the presence of God. This is called the Day of Atonement. You can read about this in Leviticus 16. But the high priest, in order to get to this place with this lamb, the Holy of Holy, imagine they're they're, they're walking this lamb into, they had to walk through three areas, the outer court, through the holy place and into the holy of holies to sacrifice this lamb. And this is the meaning of Jesus passed through the heavens. He walked through the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Jesus walks right in. And the difference here is that he was not a high priest offering a lamb. He was the great high priest who himself was the lamb. Like Jesus didn't carry a lamb with him to the cross to crucify the lamb. He was himself the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, where Jesus, or John the Baptist sees Jesus, the lamb of God, Jesus was the lamb. And here's the significance of the meaning passed through the heavens. Imagine this. Uh, Imagine you wanted to meet the president, whether you wanted to encourage him, whatever you wanted to do, meet him, talk to him, share all your great ideas and all the things you would do if you were him. Well, you want to get to the president. So what do you do? You go to the White House. Imagine this. Get to D.C. and go to the White House. Pull up. Somehow you get through the outer gates and I heard there's a fence there so you climb over and you just start walking in, like walking into the White House, like you belong there. You get to the west wing of the White House. You go through the entrance. Now you're in the lobby of the White House and you start looking around. So you you walk and you walk past vice president's office Then you see Chief of Staff's office, and as you keep going, you see the Roosevelt Room, and there you see this oval-looking office, the oval office. You walk through the door, and you enter that large, round office of the president. Now, what would be true of any person who ever tried to do that? Any stranger who ever tried to do that, what would happen to them? They would surely die. They would die. I think a bunch of people tried it last January. Didn't turn out so well. Not a great idea, okay? This is not gonna go well for you. If you try this, you are trespassing into the throne of the most powerful person, I guess, on this earth. So there you are trespassing into the president's office. It's not going to go well for you. But the only possible way you could get from here to there would be is if somebody gave you VIP access. Somebody very important to the president could walk with you and pass through the White House. This is the significance of Hebrews and what he's saying to us, that Jesus did this for us into the presence of God. So the number one reason that Hebrews gives that we should stop running from God is that Jesus made access to God You could argue that this point is the story of the whole Bible from the time the initial trespassers, trespassed. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and like us. Ooh, but there's big fish in that pond. I wanna see what's in there. That's the story of our sin. And this is also the story of God's rescue. The whole Bible Every religion is trying to solve this problem. How do we get access to God? And every answer gives some kind of human solution. But the problem is no human can pass through heaven. That's why it says Jesus, the Son of God, He is able. So, he says, let us hold fast to our confession. Now, this is so important for you because Jesus has given access, but the application of the access to heaven is therefore let us hold fast to our confession. Confession is when you agree with God about something and it's not, confession is not just admitting the bad thing that you did. When you confess, it's like two sides to a coin. If confession is a coin, One side of the coin of confession says, I am a sinner. And that might be heads. I'm a sinner. Tails is that, but Jesus passed through the heavens for me. I'm a sinner, but Jesus is my only hope. When you confess this with your mouth and believe this in your heart, you will be saved and you will have access to God. But it's only in your confession And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's something we need to hold on to. That's not something you just did when you were a kid at camp, at youth camp, back when you were 13 years old. No, we hold fast every day. We make this confession. Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're my only hope. You have given me access. That's great news for us. Let's go on to verse 15. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. The second reason to stop running is point number two, Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. That's what verse 15 means and how I would say it in our kind of contemporary way of saying it. Jesus gets it. He's able to sympathize with you in your weakness. Because it says here, he was tempted in every way, just as you are, yet without sin. Now, something you never have to say to Jesus is, as you're praying, like, Jesus, hallowed be thy name, which means you don't get it. Like you're out there, you're holy. No, Jesus understands. Now, this is where I wanna skip ahead to chapter five because he, he sort of gives some color commentary to this. Chapter five, verse one, he says, for every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is what I was talking about from Leviticus 16, remember? The priest is appointed, And their job is to take sacrifices. Now, here's a question Why couldn't angels have this role of being the priests? Well, he explains verse 2. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Okay, this idea of able to deal gently, this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used, and it means maintaining a controlled, gentle attitude toward the ignorant and wayward people that they were representing. So here's the thing. This priest was a human, and the reason it had to be a human and not an angel is because angels don't know what it's like to struggle with sin, Right? The ones who struggle with sin just are with Satan in hell. Right, uh, The ones who didn't sin are in heaven with God. But it had to be a human because a human understands the struggle. So the, the high priest who would go in with the lamb, he was not just offering it for all the ignorant people out there. No, he himself, he was offering the lamb for his own sins as well as for the people. Verse three, because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. Okay, think about this. If someone, if you're talking to someone and you're like, they don't get it, what do you mean by that? It means they don't understand your reality. You know what I mean? Like they don't understand what it's like to be you. They have different circumstances. They have different makeup and minds and experiences growing up and all those things that have shaped them and who you, like when when you say they don't get it what you're saying is they don't understand what it's like to be me they don't understand my reality so if i have a deep struggle who's the last person i want to talk to well someone who's never struggled with something that i've struggled with right we spent last monday morning every monday morning our elders meet at 6am Most of the time we pray for you guys by name, the members of Veritas. We just go through the members, we pray for you guys. Well, this week we spent time applying Coach's sermon from last week. We spent our whole meeting just confessing sin. We literally went around the room and we just told on ourselves like, here's the stuff you guys need to know about that I'm struggling with. This is the great thing about being a Christian is that we understand sin. We get it. So the whole, like, we're not holier than thou. Like, no, no, no. We know what it's like to struggle With trespassing and doing things we should not do. And so I was reflecting on this um, because there are times, this is instructive for me as a pastor, on how I should be related to people. I tend to think that an angry pastor is a disqualified pastor. Because Hebrews is saying, the the pastor should be the most sympathetic person. Like you get it, you understand your sin. And I was reflecting on this. uh, There are times that I have been an unsympathetic pastor. When I look back, especially on my 20s and 30s, there's a lot of grief related to ways that I led. You know, the older I get, i experience more of the messiness of life and sort of the idealism of youth is replaced with, this sort of realism that comes from age. Like, oh, this is what the world is like. You kind of go through a lot of the seasons of life and you experience uh, walking with people through the loss of jobs, the loss of loved ones, divorce, struggles with addiction, wayward children. And it humbles you. And over time, I have been humbled. There's a statement, one pastor said, if you can bear with me in my 30s, you may benefit from me in my 50s. I think that's a cool thing because as you grow with age, God does have a way of humbling us. Someday, I'm looking at Jeff Dodge and thinking, maybe someday I will be like him, okay? If you have a struggle, meet with Jeff. He's a way better pastor than me, but I'm getting better. Here's the point, church. Church. We are not afraid of your mess. If you are in the middle of a mess that you yourself have made, you are in the safest place you can be this morning because you are among a people who understand. And I guarantee there is someone in this room that gets exactly what you're going through. And the reason I can say that so confidently is because Jesus is here. He gets it. And this is a lie that I think sometimes, I don't know if you struggle with this, but I do sometimes when I'm talking to Jesus about my sins, like, I don't know that you can really get it, Jesus. I mean, yes, you came to earth. Yes, you took flesh upon you, but You were sinless. Like if you were not a sinner, how could you really understand my sin? And I think that's a lie because look at verse seven, chapter five. It says, during his earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. That's an amazing statement. Jesus, think about this, learned obedience through what he suffered, from what he suffered. This learning was not correction because of his disobedience, but it's saying that through his suffering, he learned to fully entrust himself to God and his plan. And it said he loud cries and tears. Some of you guys have done that this week. Some loud cries and tears. And this is, I think, a reference to Jesus in the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Gethsemane, right before the cross. And also on the cross when he was yelling out Psalm 22, where are you, Lord? Why have you forsaken me? He was shouting out to God for, to be saved. And it says, he was crying out, look at that, to the one who is able to save him from death. Here's what's amazing. Did God save Jesus from death? No. He was able to save him and he didn't. He let him die as he's crying out for help. Jesus understands your suffering more than you will ever know. Well, he did die, and he was raised from the dead. Thank God he died, right? It was for our sin. He was the lamb. But here's the thing. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jesus understands you more because of his suffering, not less because of his sinlessness. Does that make sense? So let me illustrate this if you're still like, I don't know if I understand this. Okay, here's let me show you a picture. You guys have seen the effects of a hurricane. This is a, a recent hurricane, okay? Now, look at all the trees. Just got leveled, flattened, all the trees. There's one tree in the middle that endured the storm. Now, here's the question. I feel like that tree in the middle does not understand what it's like to really be in a hurricane, I mean, these other poor trees, they just got knocked down, right? They experienced the full force of the hurricane and it just knocked them over. But actually, the opposite is true, right? Which tree really experienced the full force and suffering and power of the hurricane? That poor tree in the middle. Because those other ones just went down right away, right? But that one in the middle, it held on the whole time. It experienced the full force of the storm. Guys, all those trees around that tree, that's us. That one in the middle, that's Jesus. He understands suffering. Verse 16, therefore... Because of this, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Think about the ancient rulers and kings, how unapproachable they were. Like our president... And the White House seems more approachable than when we think about the Spartans or something like that. Like all these ancient, you know, powerful thrones, Alexander the Great or whatever. I I just imagine like these incredible thrones, how unapproachable, but Jesus, oh, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. What a gift. I wanna tell you, um, this, this throne of grace, I mean, this is amazing. This is the idea of this, this throne where he gives out gifts. He's just like, you show up and he's just got, that word charis, grace, is just gift. He's got gifts for us. And the gift he has for us is Forgiveness. Righteousness, cleansing, holiness, freedom, adoption, inheritance. He's got truckloads of gifts for us. That's why we can run in confidently, boldly. Let me finish my story from earlier. So we're scattering like cockroaches when the lights go on, we are running for our lives. My friend Brent left his tackle box at the pond. Jeff, our driver, seeing that his 1980 Pontiac Monza was trapped by old Jesse's truck, hears that yelling voice, seeing that we were caught, he does the unthinkable thing. He stops. And he starts walking toward old Jesse. And we realized we had no other choice but to stop running, so we all put our heads down and slowly started walking toward our friend Jeff and old Jesse. And old Jesse pulled out his shotgun. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't didn't, uh, (laughs) happen. The old guy yelled at us. Yelled at us for trespassing. He was mad. He was ticked off. We had no business being there. And after getting scolded for a little while, my friend Brett was like, can I get my tackle box? And he's like, yeah, get your tackle box and get out of here. Okay, that, Jesse. Jesse and Jesus are different in this way. That's not what Jesus does. I think we think of God that way. Like kind of old Jesse up in the house, he's just like, oh, dang kids, trespassing again, right? And he kind of, we confess our sin, he kind of yells at us and is like, Fine, get your tackle box and get out of here. That is not what Jesus does. When we come to him, when we stop running and we turn toward him and we know what he does. Have you ever read Luke 14? The story of the prodigal son. You know what the old man in the house on the hill does. He runs to you. He kills the fattened calf and he throws a party. That is what God does for us when we stop running, when we confess our sin, and he's waiting there for us with a party. The third reason you should stop running from Jesus is that Jesus waits for you with a party. I just imagine if Jesse was like Jesus, he would have been like, you guys, I gotta show you the best spot on the pond. Hop in my boat, right? It takes us around. I just imagine, what is it like when a sinner comes to Jesus? He's there with grace. That's what Hebrews tells us, to find grace to help us in our time of need. And finally, verse four, chapter five, it says, no one takes this honor on himself, the honor of being the high priest. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was in the same way Christ did not exalt himself but became to become a high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son, today I become your father, also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Guys, if you don't get this Melchizedek thing, you're not going to be able to understand anything that Hebrews is saying. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what the Melchizedek thing is. But Jeff's going to explain it in a couple weeks. He's a great Bible teacher. He'll explain everything. Uh, don't get lost on Melchizedek. Who, okay. Um, here's the point. God installed this king, Jesus. God did it. And God God called him to this high priest position. Now this is a quotation from Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Now let's just, just real quick get through this as we close. Psalm 2 begins with a question. Why do the people rage against God? It's asking the same exact question that I started with. Like, why do people run away from God and rebel? And listen to this. The last verse of Psalm 2 follows this progression of thought between last week's sermon and this week's 4.13 and what we've been studying this week. Here it is. If we are exposed as humanity, why would we run from God? Look at verse chapter, uh, Psalm 2.12, just, just real quick as we close here. It says, pay homage to the son, give honor to the son. Pay homage means to to uh, some translations say, kiss the son. Remember how we talked about, I wanna kiss the feet that saved me. That's Psalm 2 language. Like literally, get on your face, your hands and knees and kiss the feet of Jesus. That's what Psalm 2 is saying. Kiss the son or he will be angry with you and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. But listen to this. But all who take refuge in him are happy. There's two options. You can run from him and experience his wrath and anger. Or you can run toward him and experience his party of grace. The last point here on why it's a great idea to run toward the owner's house when you're trespassing, is that the only safe place to take refuge from God is in God. God has established his son as Lord and King. He is the only way to God. It is an eternal death sentence for you if you decide to rush into God's presence without Jesus being the one to get you there. And there's a reason we run from God, right? Because we're guilty. We get it. But here's the thing. You won't outrun him. But why would you want to? And I think so much of this world are people standing on trespass. They're trespassing and they're getting in arguments. Like we're fishing on this pond that isn't ours and someone else comes up and they start fishing next to us and we're like, what are you doing here? And they're like, well, you're trespassing. And we're like, well, you're trespassing. And we get in a fight and that's what social media is, right? (laughs) And here we are like, I get it. We're all guilty. And so we run toward the house on the hill. It's not old Jesse's house. It's Jesus' house. We run toward him the throne of grace, and I believe that you are here because God is chasing you and there's no safer place for you to be than in the presence of God with his people. I'm your driver this morning, like my friend Jeff, and I'm stopping and I'm saying, hey guys, stop running and come to the table this morning. We're gonna end with communion. And and this is an opportunity for you to run to Jesus. Maybe you have never Confessed Jesus as your Lord. Maybe you have never admitted your sin. I am inviting you to come. You don't have to have your act together. In fact, to qualify for the table, you have to not have your act together, right? The only like safe place is to be a sinner in the presence of God to admit it and come receive. Um, If you didn't need Jesus then this is all a waste, right? So come and worship team, you guys come on up and at Veritas, we've got the cups here that represent the blood of Christ shed for you. The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. And let's do this in remembrance of Jesus. There's gluten-free at all the tables. We have tables around the back, around the front. If we run out of anything, just you know, find, a, find another table and uh, let's, let's run to Jesus this morning. Would you pray with me? At this point, I just kind of want to get out of the way and just let you um, have a moment with the Lord to just confess your sin. Admit your sin. Maybe some of you have some stuff that you just feel like it's so dark and so hidden that if anyone ever found out this thing that you've done, you, you would lose everything. You would lose your credibility, your job, your whatever, but but Jesus is saying, come, come, and just just confess it to the Lord. Receive his grace. This is The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. When you're ready, just let you have some time here as the worship team leads us. When you're ready, would you just come to the table? Receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need.